Voice of Fintech. Welcome to Voice of Fintech, a podcast mapping out the Swiss and global fintech scene, connecting fintech enthusiasts with startups, incubators, accelerators, business angels and VCs, and incumbents interested in partnerships. Voice of Fintech will help you navigate the fintech ecosystem. Here you can listen to the startup founder stories, what investors and incumbents are looking for when dealing with startups, and find out more about resources provided by incubators and accelerators. My name is Rudy Fallad and I'll be hosting this podcast. Hello and welcome to Voice of Fintech. Today we're talking to Shub and we're going to talk about sustainable compliance and uh, how does blockchain and AI can help you to build a sustainable compliance solution. Shub is based in India. He's been uh, running this uh, his company for a long time and uh, he's been also an adjunct faculty in uh, AI at many of the famous uh, technological universities in India. So I'm looking forward to find out more what's cooking in this field and uh, what's behind these buzzwords as well. So how are you today, Shub? Uh, thanks, Rudy, for your invitation. I'm doing good, and I hope you're doing great as well. Yeah, I mean, obviously, the 2020 seems like it's been extended for another season. But uh, aside that, I'm, uh, I'm like lucky and uh, everything is fine. So thank you for joining us. And uh, first question for me is that, you know, you're a serial entrepreneur and uh, thought leader in the blockchain and AI space. So I'd like to know about people's motivations first. Uh, what has attracted you to do it and to this field? If you see artificial intelligence, machine learning, Internet of Things, cloud, blockchain, right? So with the advent and adoption of these technologies, right, we are experiencing the next uh, big technological revolution, uh, maybe uh, the one after Internet, right? So uh, I think this is also uh, popularly termed as the fourth industrial revolution. But what I realized, right, so... Over this period of time here is, is, is that uh, stand alone, right? Any of these technologies may not be of great use, right? Mm. So typically, that's where uh, I understood that the true potential of these technologies, uh, I mean, can be unleashed, right? Only when uh, they can be used in parallel or uh, one can be a combination of uh, like a blockchain and AI. So this drew me uh, to this kind of technologies, which are well more advanced than uh, the technologies that are that were prevalent so early in 2014 itself right when uh, the buzzword data science was not there at that point of time itself i dived into the field of statistical modeling slowly got driven to blockchain and then we i found out that hey i mean if you can uh, cook something using the yeah, i mean build a recipe uh, by bringing these two technologies together it can make wonders so that's uh, what attracted me all right, cool. So what is your latest or current venture called PyChain, right? What is it about? What is the problem that, you, that you're trying to solve? At PyChain, our goal is to make uh, compliance programs uh, simple, transparent, and easy. Our current focus is uh, primarily ensuring the onboarding compliance are, uh, and, the, and, and the goal is to uh, make them sustainable, uh, right? So today we are very much focused on rural India or Bharat. Uh, how the way we call it and uh, we are ensuring uh, that uh, uh, the onboarding compliances or in fact the whole onboarding process for the unbanked underbanked is uh, simple uh, yet very thorough so that's what we are doing at PyChain. 
But saying that, uh, let me talk a bit more about the problem which uh, drew us, uh, the co-founders, uh, together to mm-hmm. uh, this particular uh, problem area. So uh, if you see compliance, unfortunately, is still a black box. And three key stats, which I'm going to talk over here, uh, will bolster this fact. Uh, number one is is very specifically that 1% of all the illicit transfers uh, that are being brought to light and the, the, the estimated amount of the, the illicit transfers that happen every year is roughly a US dollar 1 trillion. Uh, that's a huge amount of money. But unfortunately, uh, uh, the, the whole set of uh, compliances or tools which are available uh, bring only 1% of it to light. The second and the, one of the important thing is that uh, the regulatory fines which uh, have been imposed right uh, post the meltdown in 20, uh, 2008 onwards is roughly uh, 450 to 500 billion, right? And that's a huge amount of money. And believe me, these fines are imposed on on uh, on banks, but whose money it is? It is our money, right? So which uh, uh, where interests are cut or uh, the growth money for which we have probably put in the money right. is cut and paid as fines. And probably the last one is, uh, even though with incumbent systems, which are prevalent in banks, right? So uh, roughly every day, uh, 1.4K, uh, uh, alerts are raised per branch. Unfortunately, 97% of them are false positives. So we understand that compliance is still a, a, a mystery and a problem worth solving. All right, understood, understood. Uh, but let's uh, pick on that one word or uh, buzzword, which is a bit new to me, sustainable compliance. What does that mean? Because so, when people talk about sustainability, they talk about the planet or sustainable finance, green tech, etc., this is, I guess, something else, right? Uh, absolutely. I think uh, sustainability in terms of green also means that you continue with nurturing your planet by doing good for it. Here we are doing good for our customers. So where what we are trying to do is that we are trying to increase the overall compliance confidence score of the bank or financial institution. We are efficiently utilizing the regulatory capital and finally reducing the cost of compliance Right. So these are the three things that we are trying to achieve as sustainability for uh, the compliance programs or uh, the the compliances uh, in, in the banks or financial institutions. Now, what we are trying to do here is that we are trying to achieve these three things uh, uh, year on year. Right. And whenever a bank financial institution is able to achieve it year on year, they have basically reached the the goal of sustainable compliance. So that's uh, what do you mean by sustainable compliance? I see. Uh, all right, understood. I mean, I also looked into your website or on your website, of course, and uh, I saw you have many products and then you have solutions. So what does that mean? Are you, you know, when I talk to uh, early stage startups and often they want to sell products uh, to banks and, uh, you know, so it's a B2B fintech, often the, the issue is that, well, you know, they are being forced to customize their product so much that essentially they become consulting companies, right? So what do you have here? You have many products which you productize and it's the same for every client. And then you have solutions in addition as advising or consulting or how does that work for you? Uh, Well, uh, uh, for us, uh, what we understand is that when we built a product, it should have huge potential. Uh, I mean, mean, we build products because uh, it can be scaled. Not only for one industry, it can be scaled for multiple industries. So the product ethos that with which we built any product is with that ethos. But of course, as a startup, we have only this much energy on this many number of people, or this many limited, or, or, or the resources are limited. So that's where what we do is that we take the product, customize it for an industry, 
or basically solve a specific industry need and provide it so so today the very focus that we have because we are domain experts in uh, uh, financial technology worked in rec tech right so this is the area where these products are being customized and provided to our customers and of course we don't do consultation the goal here is that the the product is built in such a way that it can be adopted by the industry exactly and it is built with the with the uh, basically uh, the ingredients to be adopted at scale all right but so what are the solutions then that uh, you, you you call on your website how does that differ from products correct so if you see the product right for example i will talk about a very simple one right if you talk about uh, let's say kyc right so kyc uh, for example is one of the step in the complete onboarding process now kyc for a financial industry is different from a kyc probably if you see uh, the gaming industry if you see uh, the onboarding the vendors in probably a cpg industry so when you build KYC, you build it as a product that it can be used across the industry. But whenever you see a solution, which is probably for commercial banking, so commercial banking onboarding would be done by this, this particular product, but it's, it's then the KYC is customized for, customized for commercial banking. So that's how we differentiate the solution and the products. All right. Uh, let me pick on one example, though, because you talked about uh, client onboarding a lot, right? And uh, yeah. and you say that you help people achieve 100% compliance, zero uh, penalties, and 200% peace of mind, right? On your uh, LinkedIn profile as well. So Absolutely, if yeah. I were to challenge you on this a little bit, because I talked to some uh, companies who focus just on uh, ID verification. You know, in the past, uh, in many countries, you know, especially in Switzerland, you wanted to open a bank account, you have to show up there in person and uh, things like this. But nowadays, you know, with the neo banks, you can do it from your home uh, through scanning of your passport and taking a selfie or video and things like this. But uh, even these online companies, they say, well, we don't guarantee our clients 100% results that they will be never fakes in the system. However, if you compare it to the humans checking the passport, even if person shows up in the in the branch, the results are still much, 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 much better, right? So it's not 100%. So how does that uh, work in your case when you talk about client onboarding and you say that there's a population which is currently unbanked or underbanked, so probably there is not much digital footsteps behind them, right? So how do, how do you do it so that uh, you, you avoid the penalties and issues with KYC? Uh, I think it's a very interesting question and, and, and thanks for asking this, right? So what do we do? Uh, basically, we are catering for uh, the rural India and uh, we ensure that we verify from source. So that's one thing which we do. Unlike many ID verification companies, right, which verify the document by using the document only or the information in the document only, we verify directly from the source. So we verify from the every government database here in india mm -hmm. so that helps us to ensure that the filtration is proper and 100 now there are ways you can achieve 100 right it can be uh, that wherever in doubt right you basically say that okay we are unable to fetch this data and so we would request you to do xyz more verification steps so we ensure that in a dynamic manner right we change the steps based on the situation so uh, what typically happens here is that in a in a normal scenario the 
the cycle or the flow is fixed and this uh, is, is, is the only flow probability someone can take to verify himself or herself. But for our case, we have ensured that that part is flexible. If at one particular flow of identification via a particular document, the individual is not able to properly or in a confident way, uh, basically verify himself or herself, can choose the next flow. And we ensure that all these flows are verified from source. So this is just one of the examples. We also bring in behavioral, contextual data and multiple other data uh, points and then connect them. So this way, it's not just one way of verification. It's multiple different attributes which come together. We connect them together, stitch them and provide it to the our end customer uh, as well as our customer. So this ensures that there is a complete audit trail of what has happened, how it has happened. And also, uh, since everything is from the source, we ensure it is compliant. And uh, that's why we can say, okay, it's 100%. <laughs> Okay, so somebody comes with an ID, you check it versus a federal database. If the if it matches, it's good. If if it doesn't, then you have other alternative means to proceed, right? Absolutely. And even it might happen that the federal ID which is provided may be forced one, right? So you can't just check the name or the number and just go ahead. You need to check multiple attributes. So we check take care of that. So ensuring that there is no forgery, there is no fraud, and there is no uh, impersonification. All right. And you mentioned also behavioral behavioral analysis. So how do you do that? As, a, as an individual, you have a, you have a set of behavioral characteristics. I do have my set of behavioral characteristics. Uh, but then if you take a population versus a sample, you understand that from the sample, you can still derive the population, population of who is right and who is wrong. So that is typically how the whole thing is derived. All right. I mean, all I wanted to know is if you use the mobile data, for example, right? Which, you know, I think you would need, obviously, the consent of people, right? This is a big debate in Europe now with the pandemic and all. How much of the tracing do you want to allow the government to do for you, right? Let's focus on who are your who are your target clients? I sense this is a, a B2B business, right? But in, are you focusing on financial services, which are regulated? That's where the KYC is mandated by the regulator anyway, or this can be extended to other industries as well. How does that work? Oh well, I th- I, th- I think just to uh, basically first first let me uh, clear of this part. Right, we are we are not just I mean not just doing KYC. Right, KYC is just one part in the whole process of onboarding. KYC, of course, yeah. <laughs> right. So uh, uh, for us, right, the target customers are primarily micro, small, uh, medium banks, NBFCs, FIs, and fintechs. So we focus only on this segment, right. Uh, and today, over, uh, I mean, we have, our, our products have gone live and we have garnered over 30 plus customers uh, right here in India, right? And we are working with them in a very short span. And I mentioned at the, at the beginning that you're also a junk faculty, whether that's related to AI, and I know you speak a lot on the deep tech. So what does that mean to you, deep tech? And how is it related to fintech or rec tech in your case? Uh, but yes, uh, let me uh, talk more about the deep tech uh, and, and fintech. So, so deep tech, I mean, uh, basically, are, are the companies which are uh, founded on the on the basically any scientific discovery or meaningful engineering or innovation, right? So that's what, uh, according to me, is deep tech. Now, uh, uh, we as PyChain have built a, 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 our own proprietary uh, platform uh, called DeepPy, so which actually is our code scientific engine. And uh, that is today catering primarily to the onboarding compliance for financial industry. 
So uh, that is the way uh, we are using the deep tech into uh, catering the financial companies. So deep tech for uh, fintech. I see. All right. But uh, let me dig into that education uh, aspect though, uh, still a little bit because, you know, we spend some time with the young, young people, with the students, right? Talking about the AI. Do you think that they are better prepared to work in a workplace where the AI is commonplace than, let's say, the generation before. Again, um, what I have in mind is, uh, obviously, you have a lot of uh, Hollywood fiction fiction uh, portraying AI is taking over, replacing us, or media talking about replacing jobs. Some of the uh, more detailed analysis is about replacing tasks, right? So instead of the some of the um, some of the mundane stuff it can be done by robots or by algorithms and humans can focus on creative stuff so how do you see the mood uh, among the young people towards the ai because uh, obviously when you talk to people who already have been working in certain jobs i feel that the percentage of people who mistrusted to some degree are is probably a bit higher than among the young generation. What's your view on that? I see uh, the generation which are coming to uh, my classes are, are very optimistic about AI. Um, and you are very correct that there have been uh, scientific fiction movies uh, which have uh, glorified AI uh, to uh, some level. Some of them has actually uh, said AI has got a lot of bad aspects to it. But saying that, what I do see here is that I see two kinds of students, uh, one who wants to become a data scientist by designation, as in like, they just want to become data scientist. I mean, they don't care. They just want to complete the course and become data scientist. While I do see other class of uh, students as well, uh, who are basically learning AI uh, holistically to apply it into their business use cases. Just mark my words, I mean, every use case is not for AI. So if you are force-fitting it, uh, I mean, that's not going to work. So there are use cases for AI, as you rightly mentioned, that uh, there are repetitive tasks. Uh, there are tasks where things can be done, customized at a scale. AI is great for it. But when it comes to novel business decision-making or novel decision-making, I believe people are uh, best at it. So all the need is the good information, which if catered to them uh, at the right time when they're making decision, I mean, I'm sure people are better decision makers as compared to AI. So that's where I see that. Yes, uh, I mean, uh, many, many, many people who are focusing on the applicability of AI understands it better and uses it in the better, meaningful way. Whereas there is a group who wants to become data scientist uh, just for the designation. There is where my scare is. Uh, what do you mean by this? Well, uh, what I mean over here is that we should aim at understanding the topic to primarily apply it in business use cases rather than seeing data scientists as a glorified job and uh, running to get a job as a data scientist, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, or get a, a, a great package or a good salary. I mean, that's not the goal uh, which uh, the people coming to the classes or learning AI should be. It should be more on the other way. What is the practical uh, applicability aspects, right? How and why I should get here, right? What is the basic knowledge which I need to have to basically learn and become a person who can uh, be an applied AI scientist, right? So around that, right? I I, I think the focus should be more around that instead of... Uh, just becoming a data scientist by designation. 
All right, of course. I mean, that's uh, how I would see it as well in Europe, where sometimes there is a there, there should be a better connection between the technical universities or, and those sort of degrees and the business people, right? And as you said, it's a means to an end, right? It shouldn't be the end. Absolutely. So, I mean, I mean the technology. So, all right. I mean, let's change the tack a little bit and uh, think about the, the broader, uh, bigger picture as well. So, could you comment on the Indian fintech scene as one of the participants there? So, of course, you know, what are, uh, so of course you, you have your views and, and perhaps uh, some of it, it's related to you. So, maybe aside from RegTech and what you do, what do you think is, uh, is, is going well on an Indian fintech scene and what do you think that uh, uh, it needs some improvement? Oh, well, uh, I mean, if you see India, India has a very vibrant fintech scene now, right? Uh, we see everyday uh, new startups coming up with fresh new financial products. And these are catering to uh, very interesting segments, right? Segments which have probably never been explored before. For example, uh, uh, we are working with one of our customers who are basically providing uh, home loans to the self-employed people. We are, we are basically providing uh, loans uh, primarily to uh, migrant laborers, right? So we, we, I, I mean, we are working with uh, such kind of very innovative fintech companies and we see them coming up every day. Uh, uh, perhaps every day we, we, we see a new fintech uh, startup coming up. Uh, a startup is, is also working on uh, providing financial products to uh, children. So, so yeah, I mean, we see uh, all, all these new startups coming up with very interesting ideas and we, we are glad that we could facilitate them uh, because we have an innovative onboarding solution. But where I do see uh, that uh, more effort has to be done is, 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 is from the perspective that if, if government integrates technology-driven startups in its action plan to boost the financial well-being of the rural India, I think that will definitely be a great uh, effort from the side of the government. Few other areas like the CKYC, GSP to GST, all of these which are, are primarily licensed to only a handful of uh, entities, I, feel, I, I believe uh, this uh, licensing should go and, and, and like how open banking has uh, created a great revolution across the world, I believe the areas of CKYC, uh, GST that we have in place, if uh, open APIs and open uh, integration, I mean, APIs are given openly and then more innovation can happen. And, and, and this innovation would definitely come from technology startups, uh, which are there uh, catering to many different aspects. I see. I see. Interesting. Well, I know it is very hard to run a startup, right? It's a all-consuming job. On the other hand, I try to ask around people for book tips anyway. So is there any business book that you like a lot and you've read recently or something that has affected you a lot? I'm also thinking about maybe turning this uh, book tips from guests into a book club or book tips club. So uh, bear with me if we set it up on clubhouse you may hear the, your suggestions so be, maybe be careful as well <laughs> <laughs> so yeah i mean uh, i definitely en- keep myself engaged uh, whenever i get time in reading books as well as uh, surfing the internet to read some uh, scholar pieces but one book uh, which i definitely uh, i like to recommend every early stage uh, founder and even maybe late stage founders as well but early stage founder because uh, where we all have to make a lot of hard decisions, right? Uh, 
So there is there is this amazing book, The Hard Things About Hard Things by Ben Horowitz. Right? Uh, so I think that's an amazing book because it talks about lot many realistic scenarios that every founder would definitely go through once in their life where they have to make some decisions. But these are hard decisions, but you have to make decisions. So this is an amazing book. I would recommend everyone to perhaps uh, read it once. Yeah, it's good. Uh, it came up uh, recently on another podcast as well. So uh, definitely a must uh, to check it out. And uh, we are at the beginning of 2021. So what's in store for you for the rest of the year and for PyChain, obviously? So I, I think it was interesting that it was brought up by somebody else as well. <laughs> so great. Uh, because I believe this book, I, I, I'm sorry, I'm just uh, still continuing the last question. But sure. Yeah. I, I believe uh, most of the founders who have read this book have got uh, uh, influenced with that. I believe that's perhaps the reason. But yes, I, I think I think getting back, what's in store for PyChain? Right. Apart from growth, funding and other nice things, right? What we would like to do this year, right, is that we have to generate more value for our customers. So that's one of the key goals, right? Uh, that we have built this startup with. PyChain is built with, with one value that, we can make compliance sustainable, but to make the company sustainable, you have to basically increase the value generation year on year. So that's the goal that we have in place. And this year as well, we want to ensure that our customers get more value from our products. All right. Makes sense. And uh, well, speaking of the customers, so if there are any interested parties or potential customers who would like to find out more about PyChain, where do they find out? What's the best way to reach out and get in touch? The best uh, is our website, www.pychainlabs.com. We are also on LinkedIn, uh, Twitter, and uh, other social medias as well. And I am uh, I am reachable everywhere. You can email me, shubatdarate.pychainlabs.com. Happy to answer any of the questions, queries, or anything that you have. I am also very much accessible on phone, WhatsApp. Please be uh, feel free to reach out to me. And uh, yeah, I mean, uh, uh, do not hesitate. Uh, let's connect. And if there is an interesting discussion, why not? Let's take it ahead. All right. Brilliant. So uh, thank you very much, Shub. And uh, good luck to you and PyChain. Uh, thank you so much, Rudy. I mean, thanks for the invitation and uh, uh, what an amazing discussion it had been. Thank you for listening to Voice of Fintech podcast. If you haven't already, check out also voiceoffintech.com where you will find all the episodes and additional resources related to the podcast. You can also subscribe to Voice of Fintech on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or any other podcast app that you like. If you have any suggestions on the topics or guests, or how to make this podcast better for you, please email us at info at Happy to hear from you. Thank you.